0: I just got back from the Agile and Beyond Conference in Detroit, Michigan. I had such a great time. It was a first-rate event, and I want to say thank you to all of the organizers, speakers, and attendees. I was hanging out in the speaker's lounge and decided to throw my rig up and just catch whoever passed by and ask them about their presentations and their general opinion and attitudes about Agile, our industry, and the various trends happening within it. So I didn't catch everyone. But those that I did catch were really cool, enthusiastic people, and they had a lot to say. So I hope you enjoy this content. There's a lot going on here. So cancel your next meeting, lean back, and enjoy. That's this week on the Badass Agile Podcast. And thank you, Detroit, Michigan. You still rock. Greetings team. Welcome to the Badass Agile Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Williams.
1: Hi, I'm Nayan Hudrawala, and I'm an Agile and Lean coach and software developer. And for the conference, I am one of the organizers, and uh, we've been doing this for the past 10 years or so. So for 10 years now, you've been doing it. Yep, yep. And, I, and is this the biggest turnout ever? This is, this is actually the fourth venue we've been at, and each time we've had to move venues, mainly due to the increase in size.
0: Really? Yep. So it's going up and up and up.
1: Yeah, so this year we have about 1200 people I think total. That includes speakers and sponsors and everybody.
0: Wicked. So this yeah. is for people who don't know this is at the
1: Cobo Center in Detroit, Michigan. That's right. Right. It, you always do it in Detroit? This is the first time we're doing it in Detroit in the city of Detroit. Oh really? So yeah, our first uh, venue was in Dearborn and then we moved to a different de- venue in Dearborn. Then we moved out to Ypsilanti, which is near Ann Arbor. Wow. And then uh, and then this time in Detroit. And Detroit this the center we're at, the Cobo Center is um It's where they hold, like, the North American International Auto Show and so some very big events. So for this venue, our conference is actually quite small.
0: Right. So but this is growing. Yes. Like this is getting huge. So first of all, thanks for everything that you do for everyone that this impacts, the the attendees and and for us the speakers cuz this is amazing. Like this is my first conference experience as a speaker and it's been great. So thank you for everything that you do. Well, thank and, you for being and you team, of course. Uh, so what's interesting, what are you as you're looking through, you know, some of the speakers and the events, what are you excited about this year?
1: Um... This year, I think the most interesting thing for me actually was just seeing how the whole thing was going to play out with the, you know, very large concurrent sessions that we have, I believe we have 13 concurrent sessions that are going on. Right. Um, And then just kind of like the logistics of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, So my, my role as uh, one of the board members of the conference was to uh, handle all the speaker relations and uh, do all that kind of stuff. So just interacting with all the speakers and making sure everybody had what they needed and scheduling and all that kind of stuff was definitely more complicated this year than it has been in the past. No doubt. Um, But, uh, but you know, a good challenge. So,
0: and. You're a coach still, which I love, because yep. you can speak to some of the trends and the things that are you know, hot for coaches and scrum masters. So what are some of the trends topically that you're seeing, if any? Um,
1: you know, I don't know that they're honestly a lot different than what they have been. You know, you see a lot of companies that are doing, you know, doing the agile stuff, and they're, I think, finding that they're not getting as much value as they expected. And a right. lot of it's because they're not doing real agile stuff. They're just kind of doing cargo cult you know, oh, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have uh, this kind of meeting, So we'll have this kind of meeting. We're supposed to do this. So we'll do that. Don't really, not without really understanding what they're doing um, behind the scenes and um, and also a lack of technical practices. So um, I think a lot of this agile stuff just frankly, just doesn't work if you're building software. It doesn't work if you're not using the technical practices like TDD or, you know, automated testing, all of those types of things, continuous integration. Right. Um, and when people talk about a lot of those things, people, you know, oftentimes will ask, hey, you know, are you guys doing TDD? And they'll say, Yeah, we're doing TDD. And then they go on to describe something that is completely not TDD.
0: Right. You right. know,
1: So, um, so I, I think that type of stuff is pretty prevalent in the industry right now, and it's due to the, you know, I think the wide adoption
0: of these types of agile concepts. Um, so, hopefully, it'll get better. Well, hopefully, it was. It inspired me to ask you, why do you do this every year? What is it about the conference that? is of value to practitioners around the world? Well, we saw
1: that in the, at least in the Southeast Michigan area, which is what we originally intended this conference to be, it was really started as a real local conference. Um, There was, there was just a lack of, a lack of, um, uh, opportunities for learning in this area, and so we our whole goal was to create an event that people could, you know, come and 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 learn in the in the local area. Since then, we've started getting people from you know even international speakers. We get people traveling internationally just as attendees, um, and uh, so we're getting people from all over the place. Um, but still, primarily, we have most of our attendees obviously are from Southeast Michigan area, right. um, and so just being able to uh, put on a quality conference where we think that the content that they're getting. Is actually, you know, you know, and there's always going to be some misses, but uh, you know, it's it's useful stuff that we think is is useful for people to learn and and um, and take away. Um, I think that's been the the most valuable thing about it. It Just you know, makes you feel good to see people, you know, happy about it and feeling like they got some value out of it. So
0: right. So for people who don't go, what would you
1: tell them for next year? Well, they should be here. Yeah, they should definitely be here. Awesome. Submit, your, s- submit your talks and uh, get on the schedule, or or just come come to the conference. It's the cheapest conference you can go to. That's you true. Know. I noticed that. So Nyan, where can it, they yeah. find you online? Um, agileandbeyond.com. Perfect. And is um, uh, that what you meant? The That's conference? what I meant. All right. That's what yeah, I meant, yeah. 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 Agile and Beyond. Brother,
0: thank you so much for your time and for doing this once again. This is great. All right. Thank Cheers. you very much.
2: Uh, so I'm Holly Bilawa. I'm an Agile coach. I work at Bloomberg in New York. Oh, wow.
0: So you came all the way... From New York to Detroit yeah, to speak it,
2: today. Well, it's a, it's a little bit more complicated. I'm actually from the area. Oh, that so, is complicated. Um, I was, I was in Ann Arbor for 18 years and oh, then wow. just moved the last uh, couple of years into New York.
0: So you're working for Bloomberg? Yes. Wow, that's mm-hmm. a huge company.
2: It's, yeah, about 19,000 people global.
0: Oh, damn. Yeah. So what's your talk about today?
2: Uh, I'm talking tomorrow, and my, my talk is about how to hire agile coaches. Oh. So... So, yeah. so
0: give us some intel there. Is there like a two-minute version? How do you hire an Agile coach? What do you look for?
2: So, I mean, I think um, one, of the, one of the key things that we're going to talk about is that, you know, we talk about being uh, generalizing specialists, you know, in Agile in general, but that there are a lot of failure modes for coaches, um, you know, sort of lacking empathy is, is one of them. Right. or uh, So we go through several failure modes of coaches that I've personally seen – Um, you know, how many certifications there are there, and how do you weed through people that you're trying to bring in the door and not put your political capital on the line, bring in people who are going to make people feel bad or actually not be able to help.
0: So is this, in your view, is this a trending topic? Is this something that's becoming more and more important? Is more organizations, I would think, are hiring coaches as a matter of practice?
2: I I feel that way, you know, being at something that's called the Agile and Beyond Conference, I think... We can work um, for companies as consultants who feel that they're beyond agile uh, in a way. And with the certificate, and so there's a lot of reliance and human resources, especially on certifications or pulling people in like that. Right. And then, sure, someone can have certifications, but if you look at, you know, the agile alliance uh, site, for example, they talk about the skills that you need, right, which are... Um, certifications are from knowledge that you would get from training but having a skill is something different so we're I think it becomes more and more important to know how do you test for the actual skills that you're looking for as opposed to um, we have we have people who have knowledge of different frameworks or knowledge of different roles.
0: Right so I was going to ask you that how do you hire or how do you screen for empathy?
2: Well um, what we'll be demonstrating tomorrow is um, really doing role-playing so it helps if you have some method acting skills, but you know one of the other things about this is expensive. Yes. Uh, agile coaches themselves are expensive if they're good, and then right. uh, the process exo- itself that we use is not cheap because we spend a lot of time preparing. Um, so setting up scenarios where somebody has to actually coach, right, and be observed doing that. Um, and having scenarios that are reasonable for somebody to come in cold, not knowing the company and be, and being able to, uh, for example, not make somebody feel stupid. I've right. had people, uh, that I've interviewed playing the coachee who c- literally made me feel bad, even though I knew that I was just role playing <laughs> that they still actually made me feel bad that right. I wasn't doing a good job. So we definitely don't want that, uh, to to come in and uh change is so hard and we expect at bloomberg we really expect there to be change right uh and we need a lot of support for that not not having people feel like they're dumb makes sense (laughs) yeah and
0: it begs another interesting question is how how important is it to get hr ready for agile now whereas before it was really a constrained almost technology or it function at this point to what extent does HR need to you know, wake up or participate or however you want to frame it?
2: That's such an interesting question because I think my view on this has changed over the years as Agile has become more of a, hey, let's do this Agile thing. Um, I was just having this conversation earlier with a couple of people about how, you know, about the... The change that's needed in the organization. So I, I think your question is very organizational dependent. I think some companies are very happy to claim success with Agile after implementing Scrum teams, um, or saying they're they're working in Scrum and they'll actually or or they'll actually be using Jira, right? And they'll say we're Agile. We use Jira. We uh-huh. actually even use a Kanban board, so we're even more Agile than Agile. Right. Um, Companies that look at agile, as we do at Bloomberg, as early and frequent delivery of value to customers, that's a very lofty goal, and it's still not something that, in the field, we haven't haven't fully tackled. Right Uh, from the manifesto in 2001, that you know highest priority is something that does in most companies require some kind of organizational change right. I think that that's the next uh, I thought it was product right I thought it was uh, looking at things from a product point of view and I think I'm learning if you're very serious about this then HR needs to be to know something's coming and then be given very I've seen it go wrong when job descriptions uh, based on the scale agile framework for example Right. Uh, you have oh we need HR involved to write job descriptions and start advertising for RTEs but when you say like we actually need to understand if we're going to do this how it's going to affect people in the organization and we need to be prepared for that um, I think that HR is extremely important with this because it's not a it's not an area of expertise of just any um, Agilist out there I guess right right right
0: so I hundred percent agree I think this is super important I think agile HR is probably one of the next big things I know that I like focusing on. So, so thank yeah. you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can they find you? So, good luck with your talk, first of all. But where can they find you online or wherever we can find your work?
2: Um, so, I'm at Agile Growth on Twitter. Okay. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Holly Bilawa. There's only two of us in the awesome. whole United States. Okay. So it's B I E. After that, you're pretty much good if you remember Holly. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that's me. Or cool. on the Upper West Side of New York City.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Holly. It's great to have you thank on the show. Thank you so much for Take having care. me. Take care.
3: Hi, I'm Philippa Bagley, I am a pro- I own my own business, I'm a project manager, and I also do business coaching for IT and teachers.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Oh damn, well that's interesting. <laughs> so before we get there, it sounds like, don't take this the wrong way, it sounds like you might be from out of town, is that true?
3: A little bit. So where yeah. are you from? I'm over the pond, I'm from oh, England. Uh, I live in a tiny, tiny place called Lydney, which is in a forest near the Welsh border.
0: Is it like, you ever see that movie The Holiday?
3: Yes. Where
0: uh, Kate Winslet and Cameron Diaz trade spots for the Christmas holidays. I always picture when people say they're in remote parts of the UK, I picture that cottage.
3: Don't quite have that cottage, but I do live in a converted dairy. That's
0: a shame because I was going to ask you if you wanted to switch. Where do you live? (laughs) (laughs) I live in Toronto, Canada.
3: Oh, I'll switch anyway, I love Toronto, it's fantastic. Done, we'll sort that out afterwards.
0: So welcome, what made you choose this conference over any Um,
3: other? So project management uh, takes on so many different forms and Agile obviously has been around now for 15, 20, 25 years and I think it's gaining traction, but what I think it lacks is a universal understanding and we all talk about how if I'm Agile I don't do documentation or if I'm Agile I do this And, and it's, good to come to a place like this where you have such a diverse range of, of use cases and understanding that you can kind of get a concrete view of how Agile works.
0: Awesome. So what's your talk on specifically?
3: So I'm actually looking at um, project management for creatives. Um, and actually, I'm trying not to talk about Agile specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with this, I find that in we talk about diversity in work and in, in, in the world, we're not very good at doing it. Right. And particularly in the industries that, that use agile, you have this spectrum of creative people, the developers, designers, uh, even project managers can be creatives, and they don't fit any one style or methodology. Right. And actually what we need to look at is more about how you manage those people as people, mm-hmm. not as a, a means to an end, and how actually by doing that, you'll get better results overall anyway.
0: Right. So my initial business before I got into... Um, doing the agile podcast my first podcast was on doing agile concepts for writers and artists and musicians and so on and it was great but we found out that that artists don't have any money so they wouldn't necessarily pay for training or pay for life skill development but but it's interesting um how is agile different for creatives in your view if at all or how does it apply
3: Um, It it comes to how you choose to apply it, like Mm -hmm. all things. And I think adult is better set up for the creative mindset. Okay, how so? So if you look at the days of Waterfall, you Mm. you know, everything has a linear structure. This follows this follows that. Now, a a typical creative, um, their thought processes aren't always tidy like that. Right. Every new idea comes to them. They get really excited. They uh, don't finish things. Now, (laughs) this is obviously generalization. Yeah. Um, but the, the nice thing about Agile is it gives them a forum to input those ideas. So you can add it to your backlog. You can do a story about it, and then you can discuss it. At least you've had somewhere to park that idea. Right. And then maybe you'll come back to it, maybe you won't. But it's a slightly better way of capturing those plans as opposed to the old-fashioned way of, let's just write a list and then... We might come back to the list if we're lucky, but with Agile, you will revisit that list. You'll still revisit and go, is it still relevant? Right. Um, And that's one of the the real strengths of using Agile methodology.
0: Absolutely. So I've read a couple of really good books on the creative habits, and I've spoken about the creative habit. And my own podcast is mostly scripted, so I write the episodes, which means that I come up with 10 good ideas, and I write them all down. And I elaborate them as far as they want to go, and then I stop. And then I, the, the real practice is not the creative habit. The real practice is going back and grooming the backlog of ideas, at which point the ones that are still jumping out become episodes and the ones that don't may never get funded, may never get done.
3: Absolutely. Is and it that's, it's brilliant that you have that discipline. Actually, not everyone does. Right. Uh, and it always takes a while to, to get that to that place. And one of the examples I've got, which was inspired by visiting Detroit, was from the Motown music. Show, right. Um, and how they actually would produce have the recording studio open 24 hours a day. Yes. They'd make hundreds and hundreds of tracks. They'd reiterate them, they'd change them, they would fine tune them until they had the one or two that really hit that spot. Right. And it's great that that then, basically, they were working in an agile way before right. we'd even coined the term.
0: I heard Prince had his whole, all of Paisley Park was wired for sound. So he was continuously recording. Isn't right. that weird?
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, so tell me about the teaching part, if you can. The education part's
3: interesting. So, yeah. So I started out my life as a teacher. Uh huh. Um, And what I actually do is help teachers to leave teaching. Uh, It sounds (laughs) terrible. I know we need educators, absolutely. Um, But what I find and what I found was, particularly in the UK and probably across the world, we're more and more data-driven. And this also comes back to that creative mindset is you don't go into teaching to produce KPIs and and just produce grades. Because one child getting a grade F might actually be a massive achievement right. versus one who gets a grade A. Right. And it's understanding that that's not where people go into teaching.
0: Right.
3: So what I actually do is help teachers to either reinvigorate their passion for teaching and kind sort of look at ways of validating what they're doing, how they can work with the system, but still find that that joy in what they do. Right. Or actually to find another way to, to help what they, do, what they do outside of the teaching profession. Or it might be via other teaching means, but not in the education
0: system. Right, right, right. Do you find, so education has its own unique challenges today in that I think society's devalued education in a big way, but also there's a case to be made that education no longer educates people for the knowledge workforce, that they're still very much an industrial oriented teaching system. Kids are less disciplined or completely learning differently, first of all, but they're also less likely to respond to traditional forms of authority. So there's all kinds of problems that teachers feel they can't connect. Kids feel like they're not learning. Um, but we'll, the society will give a kid a chance until they're, you know, until they're, I can't remember what age it is now, but they'll they'll force you to stay in school even if you desperately don't want to be there.
3: Absolutely. So in the UK, you have to be there till you're 18, either right. doing, not necessarily doing formal academia, but right. at least a trade or a, or a craft of that, some variety. Uh, and your point about the industrial age, I mean, we in the UK, we say it's based on Victorian values. Right, right. Uh, and you are setting up someone to go and work in, in the workforce doing a mandrolic, not creative world and, and that's going away and that's a good thing because right. it it's allowing us to explore so many other avenues but you're right how do you prepare a child for, for that unknown future
0: so do you believe and i'm sorry to cut you off but do you believe that agile has a role in the future of education either as something we teach or as a way of innovating in the education space
3: that's a very good question
0: i'm glad you like
3: it, <laughs> it, it it's it's not a simple answer though i think mm. um in the right circumstances, Agile could be used absolutely because it, it lends itself to that innovative approach that right. we need in education as well as in business. Um, the, the worry for me personally is you're trying to, for, and again, force a methodology onto a problem. Yep. And actually what we need to look at is what does the problem actually need, first of all? And for some people that might be an Agile response, that might yep. be you know, reinvigorating the education system, and the Finns have a very good way of doing it where they all their learning is based around a topic and, and rather than a subject. So they might look at Egyptians, mm-hmm. but then during that they'll look at geometry, they'll look at languages, they'll look at oh, this wow. all around this topic. So it's right. more of a holistic learning experience as opposed it. to I have to prepare for an exam. So I think if you could use Agile in that sense, absolutely. And then there's the other side again in, in the UK, we're moving more towards education as a business. Mm-hmm that has its pros, it has its cons. But of course, when people are involved, if you only head towards KPIs and business targets, you lose the whole point, which Mm -hmm. is to nurture children, to make them grow and discover the world. Um, So the, the short answer is yes and no. Um, but that's, we had to be careful in how we approach it.
0: That's a fair answer so I'll ask you another hard question is obviously you still have a great passion for educating children it's important to you. It's one of your core values and and so how what caused you to make the shift? Did you feel like you could still contribute as an agilist and as a, as a speaker or is are you now educating a different kind of, of child?
3: Uh, my husband might say that I call him a mad child quite often <laughs> um, no absolutely so I think and I'm still fairly young. Uh, And I'm very lucky to have experienced an amazing life to this point. And I'm really passionate about making sure children can also experience the world. And when I was a teacher, I worked at a comprehensive in the north of England, which was in quite a poor area. And I had children who'd never basically left their Mm estates. And we still have that problem. Uh, so where I am now, I don't do it as my core role, but I actually volunteer with a local organization. And one of the primary goals is to encourage youth in the area to have better experiences, to give them a place to go. And I think we'll see a lot of the problems we have come down to lack of opportunity for children, Right. coming from funding cuts, coming from the education system, pushing them down a route. So where I can, I, I do that, but I also, as I said, grown-up children that you're never too young to do something new are you right and i remember reading recently about i think it was an artist who first who just displayed her first art show at the age of 92 or something oh my wow i'm like we should just keep trying to find our thing and trying to challenge ourselves and if i can help do that with the coaching and the training or even just for my day to day project management then why wouldn't i
0: that's wonderful where can they find you online
3: uh, I am on LinkedIn, so mm. Philippa Bagley. Uh, I also have a Facebook page. My company is called Honeycomb Business Solutions.
0: Honeycomb Business Solutions. Uh, okay, So
3: please come and find me and I'll answer any questions you have.
0: Very good. Good luck with your talk today. Thanks
3: Thank for joining you. me. Thank you.
4: Cheers. So I'm Michael Neer and I'm here from Boston. From Boston? And from Boston, exactly. Great, welcome. Thank you very much.
0: Glad first, to be here. F- uh, well, happy to have you on the show. Thank you for doing this. Are you? Um, is this your first Agile and Beyond? Yes, it is. It is. Why'd you choose this conference this year?
4: I don't know. We're I just
0: full- uh, I was looking
4: at the conferences out there, and I said, hey, that's a nice place, and it's a nice uh, venue, and it's a
0: great crowd that's joining. So it is a great venue. For those who aren't here, there's this beautiful Kobo Center is pretty much right on the on the shore. You can uh, swim to Canada. I know. I looked at the window and I took some photos of, of my home country. Right. Really? Yeah, You're I'm Canadian. A, I'm across the pond. I'm across oh, wow. the pond. Man. And Nyan was very nice inviting me here yes absolutely thank you he's done a great job running this thing by the amazing this first class all the way like there's a slack channel for the speakers so we can say i'm missing a cable and they're just so on it like it's beautiful it's and they're so giving
4: these french uh what do you call them i don't know what those are called. i forgot i forgot so, <laughs> so
0: patisseries yeah whatever. so so whom do you work for what do you do
4: so i'm i'm my own my own boss Now okay. i've been for like 16 years wow and uh Mostly doing Agile Coaching, Lean Agile, and DevOps. Right
0: on. And, and you do it from, uh, sorry, where did you, forgive me? Boston. Boston, thank you very much. Boston, Mass. I've been
4: there the last five years. Before that, I've lived a long while in Israel and worked in Europe and Asia.
0: Where'd you start your Agile journey? Was it back home, or did you start
4: it when you It was. It was about 10 years ago. Yeah, oh, well. My eyes were opened. I guess. Oh, it's that's funny. Awesome. It's funny, right? Yeah, it I've is. written a lot of books, and through the writing, yeah. I think my, the book that sells the most called Agile PMO for 2012, and it kind of helped me through the journey of agility. Is writing right? the book, yes. Writing the book, too. Yeah. that's awesome. So what's your talk about today? I'm talking about persuading the bear. Oh, yes. How do you create engaged communities uh, through influence without authority? So how do you do that?
0: Without stripes, without the badges, how do you get in there and influence people?
4: You need to learn to listen. Oh, yeah. Very well. Mm -hmm. And you need to to know how to um, create engagement through listening and how to work with um, just one other person and two other people. I call these dyads and triads. Now, people think that high performance teams are about a group of eight or seven becoming high performance. If you really think about that. Yeah. There are small teams of two or three, what I call dads and triads that build the high-performing teams and the way to create agility, the way to influence throughout the team is to build through those pairs and triads.
0: So why does listening help in those small
4: groups? What does listening do? Um, it builds trust and empathy. Right. That's
0: crucial. Right. Otherwise it's just, just a waste of time. That's right. You're just speaking outward, right? You're just kind of talking to Exactly. And you're not really being empathetic. So we talk a lot about agile and empathy. But how many people do empathy well? Like we say, be empathetic. Great. So now
4: what? So the the funny thing is, it's one thing I'm going to run in the workshop now, is that um, effective and and high-performing teams define what I call behavioral metrics. Right. So they say, we want trust. And then what is trust? And they'll come up with these abstracts, and I'll I'll put it down to them, identify what are behavioral metrics. Trust behaving, um, you know, behaviors so that you can measure, you can look, that you can monitor. Wow, that's
0: awesome! It's funny. I was, I'm just thinking about where I work. I'm a, my client is PricewaterhouseCoopers at the moment, and there's a huge area of uh, like a design center that I work in called the Experience Center. And one of the um, one of the heads there did a, a talk a while ago where he puts a, a sentence up on the screen, and it's split across three lines. And the trick is that one of the words in the sentence is repeated. So at the end of line one and at the beginning of line two, the same word is repeated twice. And he asks everyone to read it. So they read it. And they miss the fact that the one word is repeated twice. They have to read it on average of three to five times before they notice that there's a word in there that they weren't expecting. Why? It was a really common phrase that had been mangled. Uh-huh. So people were expecting a certain thing. So they stopped seeing. They stopped paying attention. Yep. Does that happen in listening? I think it does. Yeah. I think it does. Yes. So... What are you, the uh, what are the listeners going to walk away with, or the, sorry, the the attendees going to walk away with today?
4: Uh, I hope a lot of coffee. A lot of coffee. The three to four thirty. So thanks, man. He just left. So jokes
0: <laughs> jokes aside, you sound like a man who's looking to change the world. What what kind of world do you see? So so it's funny, you know. I start the the talk
4: with with a story from my past where. Um, I think I hold the Guinness World Record for the least amount of employment time from onboarding (laughs) to quitting, 100 minutes. 100 minutes, that's pretty good, that's pretty good. I was pretty much, or 200 minutes, like a morning, and I was after I was unemployed for a long while. Really? Yeah, and uh, throughout the years, I've been able to understand why that happened to me in the past, and it's a lot about the engagement patterns. And what I'm teaching the folks is how to use uh, horizontal influence patterns to increase engagement and to create awesome organizations. Wow. Wow, that sounds good. So where can people find your work online? You can look up Michaelneer.com, connect on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, my Twitter handle is Near and one is NIR. N I R. Yeah. It good. sounds like N double E R, but that's yeah. my father coming over here and misspelling and not really knowing grammar very
0: well 50 years ago. That's hilarious. My brother, thank you for doing this, first of all. Oh, my pleasure. Good luck with your talk today. Thanks so much. And we'll see you out there. Oh, we well, sure will. Cheers. Thank you.
5: All right. So, uh, name's Daniel Davis. Uh, currently referring yeah, just... to myself as a uh, uh, business sure. improvement consultant. Oh, wow. What's that mean? Which uh, c- can basically mean any number of things that you know, come in and help you do your business better. Okay. Do you work large Um, or small
0: or a mix of both?
5: All all of it. Right. So um, I've been in and had my hand at a startup, right? So, you know, supporting an organization of seven to start with and, you know, working with them for a while. Right. uh, All the way up to, you know, large enterprise organizations. Been around the block definitely a few times. So the
0: challenges are obviously different. Large-scale enterprise, you're dealing with uh, safety in numbers. You're dealing with uh, complexities of scale. Yep. So which... (laughs) what are the differences to you what do you what do you like about the large enterprise challenge
5: so what i think is kind of interesting is is even though they're they're vastly different scales and vastly different environments uh a lot of the problems are similar right? for sure um you know team dynamics play in whether it's a tiny team or a very large team right uh, people dynamics play in right so um to uh you know kind of segue us over to my talks here at uh, agile and beyond this year um i actually have two Uh, Both are more, what I'll call, soft skills or people related. Nice. Uh, First one is um, related, basically it's titled uh, Code is Easy, Humans are Hard. I like it. Uh, Right, and it's all the uh, human dynamics that play in with uh, building software, Um, you know, gets into human characteristics, you know. Um, empathy and compassion and various other things that yeah. uh, we as builders, you know, might generally not think of in, in how they play into our, uh, our realms, but certainly, you know, plays into uh, the actual work we need to do. So uh, being cognizant of it. Yeah. Is it often overlooked? Definitely. Yeah. And right. is it
0: a special set of skills in your view in order to get good at the empathy and the, the, the people management side?
5: I think so. Yeah. Right. Almost as much as we need to practice our technical skills. Right. We also need to practice our people skills. hundred percent. Right? So in so. that
0: talk, what are the big takeaways, if you can summarize some.
5: Um... Of that? Basically, it's a kind of a top 10 list, um, or somewhere around that number, of the you know human characteristics you should be mindful of um, in in yourself as well as you know supporting your teams. Very cool. So, so very
0: crisp and impactful. 10 takeaways. Yeah. Good. yeah, pretty much. What's the other one about?
5: Uh, so the second talk um, is basically titled something to the effect of uh, your tech career is whacked and it's okay.
0: <laughs> What's that about? Right?
5: So it's all about the dynamics that play in with um, in and around it's okay to mix it up these days, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the idea where you used to you know, join an organization and you'd be a, a lifelong you know, uh, you know, member of, of just that clique, right? right. Uh, that's not the way it works anymore, right? That's right. It's, it's we've evolved and yeah. the dynamic that it's okay to shift around, right? right. To spend six months at an organization is okay. Yes. Right. If you're not happy. That's right. right. I think the, the gentleman you were speaking with earlier, right? A hundred minutes, minutes, right? Yeah, At an yeah. organization. If that's what it meant to realize it wasn't the right place for you. Good point. I think that's beautiful. Right. That's awesome. So being able to take advantage of those types of things. Um, but then thinking around the outside dynamics of what plays in with that. Right. So. You're no longer a lifer with a company. You probably right. don't have a pension, right? So how That's are right. you going to look after your future? That's right. There's things we have to now be mindful of ourselves and put, um, you know, what used to be kind of uh, the onus on someone else is now on us. Right. So trying to, you know, think through some of those things as well. Um, it references to, you know, talk references to some of that stuff.
0: So, so it's interesting we were talking about if you work in a large scale organization just at lunch in the in the conference center here is that there were certain people bemoaning big org culture and one of the discussions we had is When you work for places that are highly pensioned, that's how they attract people. They attract people on a sense of safety and consistency and durability of the job. But Agilists are probably gonna be enticed by
5: different things. Exactly. Do you find that's true? I think that's very true. Um, Now, when I say, you know, mixing up your career, it doesn't mean you have to change your organization. That's right. right. Have you reached out and explored the other opportunities within your team, right? If you're a builder now, does the management side and, and you know, um, what I guess I'd refer to as, you know, servant leader dynamics, yeah. you know, interest you at all? And maybe you explore some of those dynamics or vice versa, of course. Very cool. Um, and or, you know, working your way up the chain or, or back down. Um, and I think it's interesting. I actually kind of correlate that a little bit uh, in the talk tomorrow is this dynamic. of Is it OK to take a step back every now and again? Right. right to right. do things. Right. So a lot of times I'm in as a practicing coach. I generally try to take the time to get back and just do hands-on stuff for a while to experience it, right? Right. Um, it's really hard to, to teach and support when you don't get the game anymore, right? And yeah. When it's moved on. So uh, keeping an active you know, uh, context and, and um, perspective to that is important. So uh, that's all about where you know that talk is, is driven. S-
0: something occurs to me as you're talking. So many of the people we've spoken to today are not only speakers, but they're practitioners. They're doing the job every day like you. Is it important for people who are in the practice to get out and kind of circulate some of their knowledge? Like a lot of people think that a speaker at a thing like this is a born speaker and it's in their job title. But is it important for people to come and experience it perhaps if they are looking for a change, are looking to expand.
5: Yes, I would say absolutely. Um, and strongly encourage it, in fact. Because, um, now at least myself, and I tend to think a lot of folks are also this way, right? I learned from being challenged, right? Oh, yeah. The dynamic of we learn from our failures. You got it. right? I've just failed. A whole lot, (laughs) right? All along the way, and it's taught me some amazing lessons that have, you know, helped me get to where I'm at now. It sounds Um, like, and being able to, you know, uh, push yourself a little bit, right? If you haven't spoke before, absolutely, try it because you don't know what worlds it might open up if you, you know, you don't ever take that that kind of step.
0: That is very true. Speaking about opening up new worlds, what was your favorite beer from last night?
5: Oh uh, well, I defaulted even very first off to my uh, my favorite um, local um, dragon meat is a local brewery here in, okay. in Michigan and up in Warren, um, you know, so not too far off from here. Uh, they do a Belgian triple called the Final Absolution.
0: And was it there on um, tap at the uh, at the? They unfortunately
5: uh, didn't have it on tap, but they had the bottle version, and I'll take it anyway. That's um, good. It's, of course, is a Belgian triple would be a, a high percentage, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and after looking after the waistline, um, I'm kind of one of those guys now that's like, <laughs> hey, all mm. right, so I, I can't you know chug a whole whole bunch anymore. Right. I'll, uh, I'll mix it up and I'll, I'll get the higher uh, content and the lower consumption, so right uh, it's a good balance. But no, Belgian triples are, are probably my favorite go-to now, so that, that was it. It looked
0: um, good and it sounds yeah. good. So where can they find you online, Dan?
5: So a um, few different places. Uh, Twitter is um, you know, Daniel underscore Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think LinkedIn is, is an inverse. There's too many Dan Davises out there. Right. Um, so I think I'm Davis Daniel okay. there. All right. um, and then uh, the company I'm building, uh, Elevate. Elevate. Uh, so Elevate Services. Um, you can explore there. Just now starting to build out the website, but they can reach me at uh, dan at elevate.services. Perfect. Thank you so much uh, for I your should, time. I should correlate though, because now that I think through it and I'm starting to talk to people about it, they don't get, when I say elevate, I was of course cute in my design of the logo and everything else. It's right. E-L-E-V-8.
0: Perfect. Good to know.
5: Yes. That's yes. big. So that's a big piece because uh spelling out the word isn't going to get to me (laughs) awesome dan good luck with your talk today thank you so much for joining us no problem i appreciate it take care
6: hi i'm colleen esposito i am pre-tired in florida and i had two talks at the conference the first was um uh, does agile change your process or your perspective and the second is the one i just picked up on impact mapping oh what's that about beyond prioritization
0: Tell us about that one.
6: Uh, So that one is actually um, just an experience in impact mapping. So for people who've never experienced impact mapping before, it's a technique that allows you to take a look beyond just business value, but not just how important is it, how much money is it going to bring into your company, but also what kind of goals are you trying to reach? What actors do you want to include in those goals, uh, what kind of impact can they have? And then what deliverables you would actually have as a result of what they're doing.
0: So help me understand, is this almost like a change management process or is this uh, something different?
6: It's a little change management-y, but okay. I wouldn't say it's actually a change management process. Okay,
0: so what are the the attendees gonna learn in this one?
6: Uh, so they're gonna learn how to create an impact map. We're gonna nice. give them a few scenarios and they're gonna sit at a table together and work together to, to, to try to create their own.
0: Okay, so this is an interesting thing. Like this is not in the Agile canon anywhere. There's not, this isn't in the 12 Agile principles.
6: No, this is a beyond technique. Uh,
0: this is a beyond technique, great. So where did you learn? or did you invent it? or what, I did not this?
6: invent impact mapping. I actually learned it from another Agile coach. Okay. Um, and, and they uh, Layla Rowe, she brought it to an Agile coach camp a few years ago. Oh, and nice. it's something that I've introduced in the company that I work with. It, it goes along with the whole outcome-based decision-making yep. process. Yep. So it's, uh, it's very aligned with that.
0: Okay. And how has it helped your customers? Are you using it in the field today?
6: We are using it in the field, but in you know, really small pockets because okay. it's, uh, it's something that requires a bit more of a maturity level than just a team who's starting in Agile. Okay. So the company's been moving towards agility till, for about three years. I've been there for about two years. Right. And so for our more mature teams who are ready to take it beyond just the basics, we introduced impact mapping when they're ready.
0: Okay, so is there a criteria for companies that should look into it versus not? Is it just maturity or is there anything else?
6: I think maturity does make a difference. I mean, I think you could bring impact mapping in from the very beginning, but for companies who are very siloed, who their their developers don't talk to their testers and they don't talk to their business analysts and they're just not really used to working together and collaborating. Like office space. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, I right? Take,
0: I take the spec <laughs> and I bring it downstairs. Yeah. I love it. Keep going. Yes,
6: yeah, so if they, if they have that kind of mindset, it's going to be really difficult to do this mind mapping exercise, and that's really what right. impact mapping is. Oh,
0: interesting. And go back to your first one now. What was your first topic again? It,
6: it was, uh, does Agile change your process or your oh, perspective?
0: Oh, interesting. Because
6: for so many people, they think of Agile as a process change, but yep. what it really is is a different way of thinking. We call that the Agile mindset. Yeah, uh, And there's... There's a lot of things behind that. And so what I did, and this is an exercise I do in my company with the teams and the managers who are starting to move towards agility. We took take a really deep look at the values of the manifesto and then the principles behind them. Yes. And then we have them map the values that they feel align closest with those principles. Mm-hmm. And then they take an introspective look as their own values. And they're Hmm. not agile values that we're mapping, it's just common values. You know, there's values like self-reliance, and that could be a good thing, that could be a bad thing, but in the right context, it's great. In the wrong context, like where you're trying to work towards teamwork, it might not be so good. So we had them identify those values first as groups, and then take an introspective look at which values do they exhibit currently, and they want to continue. Which ones do they not exhibit that maybe they want to start mastering? And which ones might be in opposition to those values? Right. Like for example, competitiveness probably doesn't really go in line with teamwork.
0: Right, 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 makes sense. So
6: maybe they're going to stop Doing that particular
0: right. value. Interesting. So both of your topics seem to be on the and beyond side of Absolutely. agile and beyond. How important is it to stretch the 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 you know the philosophy and the practices? Because really, when we teach agile, there's there's often a certain amount of, of uh, purity in some people's viewpoints. Right. We teach the the the, the five three three of Scrum. Mm-hmm. We teach the twelve agile principles, or worse, the four manifesto shot you know, shot uh, across the bow. But we don't really talk about enhanced stuff all that often as organizations.
6: Absolutely. And I kind of think that's a, that's a gap, to yeah, tell yeah. you the truth. If all we do is come in and focus on the frameworks, yeah. even if we talk about the principles, if we don't let people actually absorb that and figure out what that really means to them, we're missing out on an opportunity Agreed. for people to really change the way they think. And that's what the takeaway was. Absolutely. It's not what you're seeing. It's not what you're looking at. It's how you're thinking about that.
0: Right, right, right. Very good. So where can people find out more about you and what you do.
6: So I'm on Twitter. It's at the Colleen E. It the, Colleen the Colleen E. C O L L E E N E. It might sound a little egotistical, Not but I'm all. probably the least egotistical person. Yeah. That my, my uh,
0: podcast is called Badass Agile. Oh, I love I'm, that I'm one. I'm wearing the shirt as I'm walking around the hall. So.
6: Yeah, I stole the idea from someone else. Of Most course. of my best stuff is stolen. Good. That's why I say I didn't invent impact mapping. I just feel it. Inspired
0: borrowing. Is I what like they call that, it. or
6: stealing go. like an artist. That's, That's the right. other thing I call, I
0: call <laughs> Very it. Good. Very good. So Colleen, sorry they can find you on Twitter and where else
6: um, I'm on LinkedIn Colleen Esposito awesome. I think it's like Colleen Esposito 3 or something Great. like that but okay. I'm an agile coach at Assurant, Assurant and that's how you'll find me
0: wicked thank you so much for joining today and good thank luck you. with your talk
6: thank you so much cheers
0: bye
7: I'm Svera. Vera um, and I'm Shahin Shadai I work for a big bank in Toronto Canada
0: nice you don't want to say which one do you no I no. don't I wouldn't either <laughs> Canadians are really precise about that sort of thing. (laughs) So, uh, and what do you do for the bank in Canada?
7: Um, I lead the COE, the Centre of Excellence for Transformation.
0: Very good. And is that challenging?
7: Absolutely, especially I, because this, the own existence of that department means a lot to the
8: transformation. <laughs> of course it
0: does. And how about you? Are you in transformation as well?
8: Yeah, yeah. I, um, I have done lots of financial institutions and I am uh, started my own consulting right now and I'm working with one of the other banks. <laughs> All fantastic. <which laughs> so again, we, we, going to name yeah. we
0: can't <laughs> say which one. Yeah. All right. So you guys did. Is this your first time at Agile and Beyond?
8: For me, yes. It's, it's my team. first time. Um, mine is the fourth time that I'm oh, here. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Why do you keep coming back?
8: Um, Agile and Beyond, I found is one of the better conferences that Ooh. I have been to, and it's very close to Toronto, so it's very handy to come here.
0: There yeah. you go. Very nice. So, guys, what was your talk about today?
8: The name was? The Hammer. The, the Hammer. The Golden uh, <laughs> Hammer of Transformation Culture. Okay.
0: And tell me about that. What is the golden hammer of agile transformation culture, or culture transformation?
8: We were using that
7: as a way to uh, pass the message around how culture has become so critical in the discussions about transformation. Okay. So uh, usually when you have a hammer, the only tool that you have is a hammer, everything becomes an L, right? I like so that So in this science. case, we're talking about how that hammer has become the culture, and now we blame culture for yeah.
8: all the... Failures, yeah. right? And for every transformation failures, we are going to see. Oh, let's. Uh, we have a hammer that is a culture, and let's uh, with, with that um, hammer fix the culture.
0: Okay. So, what should people be doing instead? So, what will attendees take away, or what did they take away from your talk today?
8: Yeah. Um, so, we were sharing the stories of. How we use the culture for yep. the transformation? We were giving them some tools. Right. Um, that this is what we did. We have failed in this situation, and with the culture, and we looked back and inspect in and end up, and we used um, a new technique and tool, not to clash with the culture or fight it. Like we we work with it. Okay. Yeah.
7: Yeah. From my perspective, I was also bringing real real life examples. Um, I, I work as an executive in this bank, so. Uh, I can see also the other side of the coin yes and it was fascinating to see how much feedback we got at the end for people that were telling us oh are you working in our company I didn't see you there because it's oh. the same kind of stories, same so problem it, same everyone yeah media.
0: yeah so, so why is it that why, why are so many large organizations struggling with the same I mean there's so many smart people at this conference we supposed to have a lot of answers or at least right. a lot of ideas how come we continue to struggle I was saying to my group this morning the new state of agile report is out and year after year the one thing that doesn't change in that survey is what is the big cause of agile failure and it's always culture mindset leadership buy-in how come we can't break that problem
8: that's a good question to ask. do you have a good answer
2: I
7: think there are many factors yeah. um, it's not a single we we our brain works in a, in a way that we try to simplify things, right? right? So in this case, if we fix the culture, then everything else is gonna be alright. Or if we just remove leadership, then everything else is gonna be alright. Right. And uh, and it's hard for us to see the whole picture yes. and how everything interconnects and uh, how every, everything you touch actually have an effect on the other side, of, in many other sizes of the same organization because they're big and they're living creatures really. Yeah. So um, it's not easy to point on one aspect and I guess it also, we also have the tendency to try to apply what we have seen that works somewhere else yes. and try to replicate it because it works somewhere else and without taking all the differences that each organization is very unique, right? Yes, yes,
0: that's true. Do you believe, one of the things that I I believe is that even if we can't solve the problem overnight, everything that we do to continuously chip away at the problem is meaningful, because at least we're uh, endeavoring to make things better and not let them sit. Do you believe that as well?
7: I completely agree with that. Right. I, I believe in baby steps. Yes. So it's uh, I'm not a big fan of these big band transformations. You right. come to Monday, everybody's gonna be working in a different right. way. I really believe that we have to move the needle little by little. Very good. I like that. I like
0: yeah. that a lot. Yeah. Do you have anything to add? I agree, yeah. 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 Big awesome. band
8: transformation never uses um, even one solution, not right. the final yeah. Right,
0: right, right. Makes sense. So guys, where can they find you online and beyond?
7: For me, it's easy to find me through LinkedIn. I guess where, that's where I'm more active. So yep. if you find me, it's E G L Y S. There are not that many. So <laughs>
0: E G E G L Y S on LinkedIn. Perfect.
8: That's right. And you? I'm on Twitter and on LinkedIn yep. as well as I have my own blog that I blog there. What's your blog? Um, it's called it's It's my last name, so it's not. Um,
0: and can you spell it for the audience?
8: I uh, blog. S h e i d a e i. Com
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, guys. Great job. Cheers. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
9: Hi, I'm David Harrison. I'm a software engineer at Ford Smart Mobility.
0: Well, welcome. You just did a talk today.
9: I did, yes. What was it on? Uh, I talked about Extreme Programming at Scale. Oh, nice. So
0: tell yeah. me about that. Extreme Programming at, sorry, extreme programming at Scale. What's yes. that mean?
9: So it was talking about our team's journey from uh, when we started as about 12 developers as an XP team and how we scaled those practices to try and handle a 100 developer team.
0: Right. So inherently, a lot of Agile stuff, including Extreme, is really well-suited for smaller teams. But it's tempting to want to scale it because if you're getting results, let's... The only thing better than a little bit of extreme is a lot more of it. So how can you get a lot more of it? What so what what are the attendees gonna take away or did take away from your talk today?
9: So I think we, we were able to kind of give a vision of what happens when when you scale things that break down your practices. Right. Um, XP really, even if you ask some of the practitioners of it, it doesn't work past 60 people, especially not co-located teams. So it's talking about how you can build some of those practices back up and why they're still important for you to try and practice uh, just to meet the expectations of your customers and your business and still do it in a way that you can feel proud about. That's awesome. So how did the, how did the
0: cr- how did the crew react to it? What kind of questions did you get?
9: Uh, I think it was a lot of questions on, on how we interact with the business at that scale. Okay. Um, when, when you have these practices on products that have sometimes tight deadlines or you don't control them end to end, how right. can you fit XP into that when you have so many people and so many communication channels? That makes sense.
0: What kind of advice can you give to the people out there listening?
9: Uh, I think it really helps if you have a lot of empathetic product owners um, right. who are aware of just what it's like to work in those environments because we deal with those technical requirements and they're dealing with the same challenges in their business requirements that they're working on. Right. Um, so finding a way to continue to work with a focus on a single product yeah. and, and defining all of your organization and your practices around that product can go a long way. Right.
0: So I'm curious because I used to do programming many moons ago, but it's been a long time. How has how Extreme evolved or changed in your view?
9: Um, I think it was a lot of focus uh, just on, on the theory of reducing your feedback loops a lot. Right. So I think you can go into all the practices, you can say you do paired programming, you can say you do continuous integration, but as a team, we're really doing all that because we want the fastest possible feedback at every level from the customer to our code. Right. So I think we've looked at XP not just as a, a, set, of princ- a set of practices with a set of principles. Right. Interesting. Okay. And
0: you're, you're still using this like you're using this today in your practice.
9: Yeah, so, so when we go back to the office, we'll, we'll be pair programming, we'll be submitting our code to our CI multiple times a day and, lo- right. and looking at these tests, uh, it's something that we've kept with us from day one of the project right. and varying levels of success all the time, sometimes we're good at it, sometimes we really let those practices slip, but they're, they're core practices for a team always.
0: That's very cool, and you're continuously evolving it as you learn more and you fail more?
9: Yeah, I think one thing that we get to do with our team is that we get to have retrospectives on a lot of those core practices. Sometimes we'll just be able to talk to the team. How do you feel about our pair programming? Right. Uh, how do you feel about our test-driven development? Like, Is our CI really allowing us to ship at at right. the scale and, and the cadence that we need? So, so we get that feedback and we get that opportunity to improve because I think we, we really have to do retrospective not just on our products but our practices.
0: That's interesting because you said you asked people how they feel. You don't always, and you kind of emphasized it. A lot of times in retrospectives, we say what went well, what didn't go well, there's not a lot of opportunity to inject feeling in there. How is that, does that work for you? Do people respond to that? Is that does that create some openness or some honesty that you couldn't get any other way?
9: I think so, yeah. And uh, especially for for something like practices, we can talk about what went well and what didn't go well, but for something like pair programming, sometimes it's pretty binary, like pairing went well, pairing went didn't. Yeah. Um, when we want to get down to the root of how can we make that practice better, Sometimes retrospectives aren't always the, what are you happy about? What are you confused about? What are you sad about? It's really about trying to get a pulse for your team and trying to improve what's going on. And whatever format it takes to do that, we'll, we'll do that for our team. Right, right. And
0: how do you know if you're getting
9: better? Uh, it's, it's tough to quantify some of those sure. things. I think when, and, and that goes back to the keynote where someone asks how agile are you? Right. Um, you can't say you're 80% agile or you can't say we're, we're 40%. It, it really is a feeling. I think you know it when things are good and you know it when things are bad. Right. Absolutely. So where can people find out more about you and I'll what you, you do? Uh, So I am on LinkedIn um, and on GitHub. So we try to do some open source contributions to all of the tooling we use for our projects. So uh, for technical things, you can find me on GitHub Uh, for David Harris. David Harris? Yes. uh, I believe it's github.com slash the David Harris. And I'm at Twitter, just David er, Harris. Sorry, on LinkedIn, uh, David Harris as well. So happy. Perfect. Thank
0: you very much for being on the show. I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much.
9: My name's Mark Shedd,
10: um, I've got a small company. We do agile consulting and software engineering from Kansas. And um, here today talking about optimizing flow and uh, and extreme programming.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So how come you come up from Kansas to Detroit? Why do you come to this conference?
10: Um, knew some people here okay. and uh, saw it. And it had been here last year, it was a cool conference. So oh, so come, not your first time? Coming back. No, I awesome. no, spoke that's last great. year too. So tell me about uh, optimizing flow. So the thing that we did uh, today, was we did simulation and um, uh, simulating work, simulating an organization in different departments. And kind of the key takeaway for it was if we design our metrics, we've got to be very careful how we design our metrics because the departmental metrics were telling us one thing. The overall metrics were telling us something else. And just trying to help people think through what are the metrics that we're dealing with in our lives that may be in our organizations that may... Tend to push us toward one direction or another direction when actually that's the opposite of what we want to be doing.
0: Right. Okay. So what did the attendees take away after this simulation? What were some of the findings or some of the feelings in the room?
10: Well, hopefully the big thing they could take away is they left with a bunch of tokens and then go back and do it with their teams to have the discussions in their organizations. Okay. But the, the big takeaway is that the um, there's a lot of metrics that can look really good for your department. Right. But those often are based around the it's not my problem we just focus on our department and not how the system works as a whole
0: interesting you have an example
10: yeah so one of the one of the big things in, in um, I mean, one big thing back in the in the 90s right was like people looking at the number of hits they had on their website and this vanity metrics of oh this looks really good It doesn't matter how many people come to your website if you can't convert them into customers right, right. and so that's where the big like the big push um, from from lean startup and things was really to make sure that you're measuring things that actually mean something to you. Right. So in our little simulation, we were looking at how long it took work to get through the entire system and then also really looking at how you know the value of that work gets through the system and then you start getting return on investment from it. Right. And this is something that, you know, businesses have a easier time doing that because right. you, if you run out of money, you go out of business. A lot of my work is with um, government organizations, right? particularly government organizations that actually print the money. Yeah. And that's a little bit different situation because they're not really worried about going out of business. Interesting. So
0: big companies like that, big organizations like that are used to doing business cases in which we say, here's the sink, here's what you're going to put in. Mm-hmm. Here's what we expect to get out. And a lot of people, when they hear about agile or they start working with it, fear that they no longer have that opportunity to measure and analyze the same way. I mean, it's a whole science Mm -hmm. analyzing ROI. And so to what extent does what you're talking about bring that safety and comfort back in for people without expanding the upfront, you know, that
10: that upfront analysis and business planning? So I think a lot of our... A lot of the way we approach things is based on the metaphors that we use for software. Like the whole idea of building software puts yep. us into the mentality that it's like a building. You have to plan everything up front. Right. Software really is grown. And probably like you grow a city. You don't build a city. You grow a city because you've got to see how things are working. You don't want to just put a subway out to nowhere. It's like, well, where are the people? Okay, now, we, now we grow the subway toward them. And I think that's one of the big shifts is if we think of things as building it, we end up making really bad decisions based on what we can do with content. Concrete, not with what we can do with code. Right. And so, as far as the, as far as how you make that shift, some of it is, you know, 20 years ago, software projects looked a lot different. We have capabilities now that just simply didn't exist back then. Right. So we can do things in small batches and quickly and get return on investment that just wasn't possible years ago. I, one example, I've got a client I was working with. And um, we came in and started helping augment their team and we were tracking how long does it take for us to do something and get it into production. Well, we, we got to the point where we're turning around stuff overnight for them. And so, you know, they say at the end of the day, hey, we tried this, here's how it worked. We get it out to them, deploy it, they use it the next day. That's amazing. And after a while, their parent company said, hey, we want to talk to you. We've got this big project we've been working on for the last five years. And I was like, okay, so how, how much of it have you actually deployed? None of it. Right. They've been working on it for five years and nothing was actually giving them a return on investment. Mm-hmm. And so. The point is, we, we can do things we couldn't do before, and we have to take advantage of it if we want it to stay relevant. <laughs> right, right, right. So, where can people find out? For people who missed the
0: presentation, where can people find out more about what you do?
10: Uh, if you go online, look for Mark Shed, S H E A D. Probably one of the more popular things I have is my YouTube channel. Nice. YouTube.com/slash/markshed. Okay. M A R K S H E A D. I've got a series. A lot of people here have mentioned them. The um, the Agile Cartoons. So, a little yes. short, five, yeah. 10 minutes. Have you seen those? I have. Okay. Yeah. Those, those are mine, the little nice. five, 10 minute cartoons just talking about Agile principles and stuff. And that's probably mm-hmm. a great starting place if people want to find me. But I've got, you can find me online. If anyone wants to talk to me, I'd love to talk to anyone about any of this stuff.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Mark. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of the conference.
11: Hi, all. My name is Aarti Joshi, and I'm a software engineer.
0: And where do you software engineer, Aarti?
11: I work at Ford Motor Company.
0: Oh, so here in Detroit? Yes. Well, that's awesome. So, is this your first conference? Yes. It is. Okay. Do you, now, you conference. you gave a talk or are about to give one?
11: I'm about to give a talk. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to give a talk tomorrow.
0: Okay. Yes. And what's you're talking to be about?
11: I'm going to talk about an introvert journey to agility. And this is more about being a software engineer right. who has moved from a waterfall team to more agile team. Okay. And all the added collaboration and the human interaction that comes with it, that kind of takes toll on introverts. And software engineers are not so much used to having that kind of communication when they're working in the waterfall world. In that world, somebody would give them a requirement specification document and then they will code it. Right. by sitting in their high cubicle walls in a, their quiet time. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it works when one moves to a more agile team. Of course. So I'm going to talk about that transformation and what can introverts do in order to help themselves to undergo. So that's great. This, this, is,
0: this is so important because from an agile perspective, many times in business, I find people look at an, a development team and say, you you know agile stuff so come here and help us transform the whole organization but nobody teaches them how to be leaders and communicators so what can audience members expect what are they going to take away from your presentation
11: so in this presentation i'm hopefully going to encourage software engineers motivate them to open up share their ideas and talk uh, with in front of larger groups in order to initiate more networking and grow some solid networks because that is what organizations are looking for. They're looking for more ideas coming from different levels. Absolutely. So hopefully they will learn some techniques related
0: to, yeah. This is wonderful. It's a very unique topic and I'm wondering what inspired you to do it?
11: Uh, This was more of, again, from my own experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Earlier when I was not working as a software engineer, I was in a different role where I used to handle a lot of communication, but I used to get tired by end of the day. Yeah. And then I started observing the software engineers who were around me. They were getting to work independently. And then I thought of moving into that role um, because that did not involve a lot of interaction. And my world was nice, hunky and dory until I moved to more Agile team. Right. With Agile team, all the collaboration and communication that all came back. Right. And then I decided to look for different ways on how I can help myself. But most of the ways that I found on Internet, they were more about how can organization change their work culture Mm -hmm. and how can other team members help introverts in order to accommodate themselves uh, nicely on these collaborative teams. Mm -hmm. But as an introvert myself, I wanted to do something of my own, apply some strategies to check how it works and how I can be more effective. So So what did you
0: find that works?
11: <laughs> well, this is more about experimenting different ways okay. of um, what works and what doesn't work. Uh, it was more about changing the perspectives of how we look at the things. Okay. Uh, because introverts, they think about uh, they never think about changing their behaviors. Yeah. And changing by changing behavior, I do not necessarily mean they need to start acting like extroverts. Right. But. There are certain strategies which they can use uh, where they can think about mass networking, like I said earlier, communicate in front of groups. Uh, I'm going to also talk about uh, brain science, how introverts, uh, their brains are wired and why they act in certain ways. So learn more about yourself Mm -hmm. and that will tell you when you need more quiet time in order to recharge. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, when you create that more time for yourself in your regular workday schedule, Uh, automatically you're more productive and more collaborative. You just need to be open for ideas and not uh, refrain yourself from having those interactions.
0: When you tell people that you're an introvert, are they surprised? Because you're very articulate. You don't seem like an introvert classically to me.
11: Uh, Well, that is what I'm going to talk possibly tomorrow. uh, I'm going to mention that introverts need to act in more out of character ways. Right. And this is what I mean, that they don't need to act like extroverts, Mm -hmm. but they need to start thinking about using free trade theory. Free trade theory is uh, suggested by Brian Little, who is a professor and Mm -hmm. who has done a lot of work in the field of motivational psychology. What this free trade theory says that if you are working towards a core purpose or a goal, for software engineer, it is that day-to-day work that yep. they do. Uh, if you're working towards that purpose, then you can act in more out-of-character ways in order to support your uh, work and get it done. Right. Now, earlier, software engineers were not required to have communication, but now they need to because they are very much involved from the very conceptual phase of software, a product until the product gets released to production. Right. They are not handing over uh, documents, or they are not handing over code to somebody. They are not handing over their product to hardware guys in order to deploy. Right. They need to be involved in all the stages. So now having more interaction and collaboration is part of their day-to-day work. So this is kind of acting more of out of character ways. So this must be
0: really exciting stage. for you. You can see you have a passion for it. This is important work to you, right? Yes. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Now, where can people find more about you and your work online?
11: Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, my profile is joshi.arati.12. OK. I spell it as j-o-s-h-i mm-hmm. dot a-r-a-t-i mm-hmm. dot one two.
0: Dot one two. Yeah. OK, perfect. Anywhere else?
11: Um, I'm, I'm available on Twitter. It's uh, a-r-a-t-i-s-t-e-r.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. Good luck with your presentation. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Mm -hmm. I'm George Dinwiddie.
12: I'm a a solo uh, consultant, coach, and trainer. My company is Idea Computing, I-D-I-A. And uh, I've been uh, an independent consultant for about 15 years now.
0: That's awesome. Where do you work out of, George?
12: Uh, I live in Maryland and I you know, I, sometimes I work locally, sometimes I travel, uh, been as far as China. Uh, really? And, uh, and sometimes I work remotely. <laughs> now, are you, are you presenting at the conference George? So I just, uh, I did a workshop yesterday, a full day workshop, and then I did a 100 a minute workshop today okay. um, on uh, the people issues surrounding estimation.
0: Oh, that's interesting. All right, well, walk us through that. <laughs>
12: <laughs> so it's it, it, it's based a lot on, on what I've learned from the work of Virginia Satir. OK. Uh, so there's a, a lot of stuff. Uh, two of her concepts that I went into a lot. Uh, one is congruence, um, which involves balancing the needs of myself, the other person I'm working with, and the context around us, you know, what are the needs in this case, of the organization.
0: Okay. How does that, how does that play out, or, or how does that impact estimation?
12: Well, so, the, so um, the problem a lot of times is that this is out of balance. Right. And that's where you get blaming, is you get blaming when you neglect the, the uh, needs of the other. Right. So, you know... You know, it's your fault. Right. Whatever Wrong. happens, it's your fault.
13: <laughs> um,
12: and, and the opposite of that is placating, mm-hmm. where you neglect your own needs. Right and try to satisfy the other person, do whatever it is you think they want.
0: Right. So does this happen more when you're talking developers and testers are sitting in the same room and they're supposed to contribute to a, to a meaningful estimate and one either kind of uh, sub, is subdued because they don't want to rock the boat, whereas others feel neglected because they haven't been included? Or, or how, does it, um, how does it actually impact dynamics?
12: Well, I mean, this really happens whenever people are interacting with each other. Sure. But but what we were exploring is the interaction between the person asking for estimates and the person being asked for estimates. I understand. Got it. Because those are often difficult conversations. Yeah. And, and you know, people oftentimes don't feel empowered to, you know, represent themselves fully. Right. Or, uh, you know, they, they want to, you know, they, they get angry with the other person and, and, and blame things on them and that can happen in either
0: direction sure it can so how did the workshop play how did the workshop go did you get good participation was a lot of revelation for people
12: oh I I got good participation and I got people asking me questions at the end and um, so I think it went very well awesome what kind Uh, of questions did you get uh, well you know questions about uh, you know how to apply this in particular situations and things like that awesome uh, it it wasn't for everybody some people left early well they always do But that's okay.
0: The agile people are a bunch of savages, George. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, how is the 100 minute session different from the all day?
12: Oh, well, so the all day was on um, uh, behavior driven development. Oh, okay. And okay. how to do that well so that you have, you know, you end up with test scenarios that are value for, over the long term. Right. Because I've seen way too many organizations, you know, yeah, they, they exercise the code, but it's not really doing a good job of testing. It doesn't communicate the intent. right? And when the test breaks, nobody knows how to fix it because they don't know what it was in,
0: intended in, trying
12: to do in the first place.
0: I understand. That's fascinating. So where can people find you online, George? Where can we uh, look up more of your work?
12: Okay. Well, there's several places. Um, I'm at Denwitty on Twitter. Okay. Um, I, uh, my uh, company website is idiacomputing.com. Okay. And then my blog is blog.gdinwiddie.com.
0: Dinwiddy, spell that for us. It's
12: it's G-D-I-N-W-I-D-D-I-E. Perfect. Thank
0: you so much, George. Enjoy the rest of the conference, and thanks for being on the show. Okay, thank you.
13: Hello, I'm Matt Hoyser. I'm the Managing Director of Exelon Development. We help companies solve delivery problems.
0: Solve? That's pretty big scope. Sure. Uh, So where do you work out of?
13: Uh, well, I, we've got offices in West Michigan right now. We've got projects uh, in Chicago and New Jersey.
0: So you're native here to Detroit?
13: Uh, West Michigan.
0: Okay. Yeah. And is this your first conference, Agile and Beyond?
13: I've been here a few times. Oh, right on,
0: right on. So what's your talk on uh, today?
13: So uh, each morning I'm presenting how to how to do and executing a Lean Coffee style meeting format.
0: Oh, nice. So it highlights. What can you tell us about that for those who don't do Lean Coffee?
13: Right. So. Uh, there's a couple. There's, there's, it's it's a meeting with no agenda where we determine the agenda in real time by the people who actually show up to actually solve a problem. Right. So uh, a lot of conference talks or there's a risk with conference talks where you go in and it's someone else tells a story about a problem they solved. I might or might not have that problem. I might or might not take their solution. Right. It might, or might not, not not connect to me. Whereas with Lean Coffee, you actually bring your problems to the table. And it's also if you go first thing in the morning to a conference in a place you've never been with people you don't know, it, it it forces a norming function where you get to know the other people that show up, which are the people that are engaged and the ones that woke up at six thirty in the morning so they could sit across the table that really care. Right, right. So you get the right people in the room.
0: Awesome. So what is it um, that the attendees take away from your talk? What do they learn?
13: Whatever they want to learn. So to be specific, let me give me some yeah. examples. Sure right so they might come with a problem like um, my executives want this but reality is that how do i how do i get those to reconcile right, right, right. or we had a couple of questions about soft hard soft conversations right right where someone makes up a deadline mm-hmm. uh, what what do we do like can we meet it i don't i don't even know i don't right. even know what it is yeah. how do you how do you how do you deal with
0: that so as a facilitator of a lean coffee, do you feel a lot of pressure to solve that problem? Or how do you how do you kind of hands off? How do you let solutions flow right. so for, were, without if, dictating?
13: If I were to criticize myself, I, I do like to be the doctor and say, right. you can do this. You can do that. And, and I, it is good to sort of step back a little bit and let the conversation flow. Th- right. This morning was particularly good because we had some people there that were new to it. They were willing to try and some the people there who had done it 7, eight, ten times that really sort of understood how everything would flow.
0: Right, right, right. So uh, where can people find more about your work and what you do?
13: So the website is xndev.com, mm-hmm. short for Exelon Development. Right. And my Twitter handle is mheuser, which is m-h-e-u-s-s-e-r.com. If you like, can't remember any of that, you can play it back. But if you can't remember, the book is Save Our Scrum
0: our Scrum, cool. Pretty easy to find. Yeah. When did that come out?
13: A couple years ago, but it's um LeanPub so it's like continuously updated. New new, new versions are pushed, that kind of thing. Fantastic. Like it's That's not a, done yet, but it's done.
0: It's done. <laughs> right? That is it's awesome. Done. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hello,
14: my name is Justin Beal. I am an Agile engineer at Devil Solutions. So what's
0: an Agile engineer? Just an engineer who does things with agility?
14: Yeah, that's a term I made up. I, uh, I like it. got let go from my previous permission where I was a vice president of engineering at a okay. consultancy company where I was told we don't do Agile here. Oh. So uh, you know, second employee, I was de facto uh, VP of engineering, but I led a group of about... Um, uh, seven engineers with over 120 years of experience. Wow. And I had no right to be their leader, practice serving leadership. And, um, as we started to scale, um, actually be successful, the organization really wanted to focus on growth. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to make sure we didn't lose a single talented person. So, right. uh, sometimes at odds at a brand new startup.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So you're presenting here today, right? Correct. In
14: about 10
0: minutes. Oh man. Okay. So
14: we'll be brief. What What what's your talk about? Uh, my talk is about, well, it's called Closing the Remote Engineering Gap. So it's about facilitating collaboration um, in a distributed manner. Oh,
0: that's fascinating because that's a huge problem for a lot of people.
14: It's is uh, As I was submitting the abstract and started researching it, I realized it is a common topic Absolutely. in these conferences Absolutely. and i saw a couple of nice presentations that hopefully uh, kind of piggyback off some ideas plus my own
0: right on so what are some of the key takeaways in your presentation
14: so some of the big things are just agile centric in general right mm-hmm. um, you have to start with great culture um i say distribution is a multiplier sure so if you have good culture multiply it if you have bad culture multiply it right so a set of values um i have them on my slides but it's like servant leadership over um you know, management and uh, flow over utilization. Some right. some common things that occur in organizations yeah. that in a distributed or remote environment uh, are exponentially
0: worse. Right, right. So when uh, attendees are done with your uh, your performance today, what are they gonna take away? What are they gonna leave with?
14: Uh, yeah, I have um, three key concepts, right? So it's to do a remote inventory, right? what is does remote or distribution look at your current workplace right is everybody there Mm -hmm. do you have one person on the team who's not i mean just kind of take a census of where you're at a lot of organizations even though they're not remote they have policies that allow you to work from home on sick days and other things so why not run small experiments to try to push that further such that you increase employee happiness and engagement and tenure Absolutely.
0: Now, is there is there a case to be made where uh, you you know doing things remotely, um, you know, is is detrimental? Maybe it doesn't work as well. Some people just really like the the camaraderie and the being in the office. I,
14: Absolutely, I, and I think um, remote is a choice. Yeah. Right. So that's that's one thing I I would like to push too. It's not. Uh, if you want to work remote, it should be an option. Um, occasionally coming into a co- uh, office is a good thing. So if you want to pick somewhere regional, right? Like we did um, breakfast once a week.
0: Right. So we, right.
14: we got mostly uh, local engineers in the Cleveland area. We were still pretty far distributed. Right. But um, we would try to meet up in a central location for breakfast once every other week or so, something like that. But even too, we would uh, when that inclement weather, we would have um, you know social beers with everybody with zoom chat up right and we would nice. a talk and kind of have retros that way too that's pretty cool you know, so just kind of building that culture is the whole point of the talk
0: now remote with real-time communications is one thing but distributed cultures frequently involve a time lag sometimes yes. a six or 12 hours or, or whatever what what's the difference and can we still make it work i think true distribution across time zones
14: starts to become challenging because you're going to in you know infer on someone's uh work-life balance technically, unless yeah. you have a night owl who wants to, you know, work on the same hour. So it's right. it's just finding those people who, who fit the need. If I am going to be working with a team on the West coast and you say, Hey, shift your hours back three, it's right. not going to work for me. Right. right? right, right, right and if right. we tell them the same thing or shift them forward three or whatever, it's, it's a, you just got to find that blend of what's appropriate. Absolutely. And make sure you have, if you are truly remote, then make sure you have um, clear handoff procedures. Right. Processes the the minimum viable bureaucracy needed to make sure that you know your your cycle times are not exaggerated by the distribution. I hear you. Okay.
0: Anything else you want the listeners to know about
14: your uh, presentation? Um, yeah. Next thing is kind of technology. Um, ask your company if you can have things like yeah. that's that's the uh, one thing people don't really look at where you, many engineers are almost six figure employees and. When we focus on cost, it's a challenge, right? I want a magic mouse. Oh, it's 50 bucks. Like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I want a magic mouse because it's going to make me feel good and be more productive. And I'm going to appreciate my employers for spending 50 bucks, which is a fraction of a percent of my actual cost to the company. That's a great point. It amazes me that... um, people sit in these situations and they'll sit around a conference room with one person remote and they're all trying to speak into a laptop. It might cost 50 bucks.
0: Right, right, right. Plug it in.
14: Um, There's so many things you can do to help enable
0: organizations. It's funny because we say trust teams and then when the team comes along and says, I need a magic mouse, we won't give it to them. Yeah. Because we need the money to make marble bathrooms on the executive floor or something crazy like that.
14: Yeah, it's it's not always that black and white, but I think... um, a lot of times salaries are fixed costs. So when you do planning and budgeting, you don't have to allocate extra for those, right? Right, But just like our utilization, we should figure a certain amount of slack into the budget. Right, right. right. I mean, not petty cash or whatever you want to call it. It's not things that should just be burned for, for fun, but peripherals and other things to enable your teams go far far away or you know far ways with uh, only a couple hundred bucks at times yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it makes forgetting. people happy yeah like and like we're forgetting to it. do that
0: that's right great so where can people find out more about you
14: yeah um i'm uh the easiest place is gonna be on twitter okay. um i'm devil so d e v 3 l and it's an underscore okay someone actually had d e v 3 l so kind of made me i was like what the
0: so where's the underscore
14: uh it's the it's the L, it's at the end, so Got it on. kind of makes an L. Okay, perfect. That's what it is. Um, Devil is just short for developer, but it's kind of a play on word. I like the badass agile. I look at myself cool. as a corporate rebel. Yeah. Um, I struggled in corporations myself, and I'm trying to get back into it as a coach now, so it's kind of like a full circle where the things I saw in the trenches, I want to help people out now. Oh, that's awesome, dude. <laughs> yeah. Good
0: for you. Yeah. We'll keep it up, and good luck with your presentation. Cool. Thank you very much.
14: Which
15: is now probably three minutes away, Yep. and uh, thanks for joining on the show. All right, I appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. Bye. Hi, I'm Tom Bellinson, a scrum master at Ithaca.
0: Where's Ithaca located?
15: Ithaca is headquartered in New York, but we have an office in Ann Arbor where we do most of our software development. Okay. And so what's your talk on tomorrow? My talk uh, tomorrow afternoon will be on blameless culture. Oh, tell me about blameless culture. What's that about? Well, um, some some while back, we we started doing blameless postmortems at at Ithaca. Okay, it was all the rage, and um, we we quickly realized that just doing blameless postmortems does not make you blameless. Right, and it came became very uh, obvious to me that you have to have a culture to support that idea. Right, so I started looking at all the things that our organization was doing. To support the culture that allowed us to come together and and actually have blameless postmortems that were truly blameless.
0: Okay. So how, what's the difference?
15: What's the technique? Um, well, so a blameless postmortem is essentially uh, kind of like a retrospective for an incident. Okay. So we get together, we go through the timeline for the incident, and we like to talk about the assumptions that people made, the expectations they had. It's part of systems thinking. Um, but the danger is in that environment that there's always somebody who probably pulled the trigger on the thing that caused things to break. Sure. And that person is, cannot be in a position where they're fearful. Right. Or else you don't get the full story that you're trying to get to. Right. That where where systems thinking really lives. Uh-huh. Systems thinking lives in the 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 connection between the technology, the processes, and the people. Right, right, right. And so that's really the thing that that we have cultivated, and it it's cultivated in a lot of different ways. It's not just by having blameless postmortems. Right, it's, right. It's by a top-down initiative, and uh, to create the culture that that gives people that space that they need to feel like they can just speak freely without fear of repercussions. Right.
0: So, if we think blameless, as you're describing it, there is an opportunity for it to go the wrong, too far in the wrong direction by saying by not talking about the incident or the or the event that triggered it are we missing an opportunity to identify what really needs to get better? So there must be a balance.
15: Yes. Well, we really are talking about the incident and the things that triggered it. And we're truly drilling in on that. Right. And, we're, we're asking people to open up and say, well, I, you know, I assumed this and I thought that this is the case and, right. and I made this decision based on that information and I expected these things to happen and they didn't happen. Right. And I later learned why and it was a mistake that I made. Yeah. And we do that and we encourage people to open up like that because everyone else in the room thinks for themselves, they're but for the grace of God yes. go I.
0: Yeah, that's right, that's and, right.
15: And so it's not just a learning experience uh, for the people involved in the incident, but other people who show up for these things right. learn as well. Absolutely. Uh, from, from that openness okay. that's created with the sense that there's no blame. There may be accountability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People who are responsible for things and, and they, they accept accountability for them. But the blame is an emotional thing it that goes well beyond that. And For that's sure. what we're trying to fish out and, and get rid of. And it seems like this
0: is a natural evolution of the, the very agile concept of getting together to review performance and see what can be improved. This feels like it's level next, like you're getting better at it
15: by removing blame. Right. Because I, I, I think you can go through the... The motions of getting together and and reviewing what happened and right. and and trying to trying to make it feel to soften the blow for people because you don't want anybody to get hurt. And so one of the things, just okay. as an example, uh, that that I that is really Im- has become important in our organization is the idea of trust. Okay. Right. And and we, it's one of our Are, core yeah, values, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and ahead, we really work hard to cultivate that yes. because what we've learned is is that when people trust each other teammates and and leadership and you know when when the people in the operational side of the organization trust the leaders yeah then then they don't they don't it strips away that fear and when you can have the kind of conversations that people dream about in a retro where where you can say wow you know that you did that thing and that went really badly yeah, you know yeah, can we yeah. drill in on that's that right. for a minute and, yeah, that's right. and and that person if that person feels bad they're going to become defensive yes. and they're going to be protective about things that they know they did that were probably not a good thing right,
0: right,
12: right, right,
15: other right. people could call them out on but if there's trust they don't worry about it that's awesome that's awesome man so where can people find out more about your work um, well, we uh, have a, a blog that we do called Build Smarter. It's on Medium. Okay. And I write for the blog sometimes. Other nice. people in the organization do. And, and so a lot of the topics that, that uh, come up around the way we operate, which is, in a sense, what I'm talking about tomorrow in, a, in my presentation, right. will be in there in some form or other. Awesome. So go to Medium and search for... Build smarter. Build smarter. Perfect. Thanks so much for being on the show. And Thank good, you. Good luck with your presentation. Thanks. Cheers.